All right, good evening and uh, welcome to the conversation with the leader. Uh, this is our second episode and we are delighted tonight to have uh, uh, Pete uh, DC with us. Uh, he is uh, an assistant uh, dean for students and a director of uh, athletics here at NYU Abu Dhabi. And uh, we're looking forward to having a fruitful conversation with him, uh, asking him questions about his uh, personal and professional experience and uh, learning some uh, leadership lessons along the way. Uh, Pete, uh, thank you again for making the time and uh, we're delighted to have you and we look forward to the conversation. Let me start with a big question here. So since I started with NYU Abu Dhabi, uh, I tell people, uh, you know, I talk to Pete, I talk to Pete and people tell me, oh, you mean coach? Uh, I said, oh, okay, he goes by coach. And then fine to know that uh, you, you really appreciate being called coach and you think of that as being a privilege and also as a great reward. So can you elaborate? Can you tell us more about what does it mean to you to be called coach? I think uh, it, it's not that it's, it's uh, a mantle I wear or anything along those lines, but I think, I think coach, if people know know what a coach is, a coach is a counselor, a coach is a mentor, a coach is someone you can go to, a coach is going to help you. So I think that, you know, from that perspective, um, you know, it's certainly an honor to be called a coach. But, but more importantly, it's just so people know that uh, I'm open, I'm accessible, I'm really there for them and then for their best interest. You know, um, um, I'm always asking what can you know, what's best for the students? What can I do for the students? What can I do for my colleagues? And, um, uh, and then also being called coach, it's easier to remember uh, perhaps than Pete or Mr. DC, which sounds a little bit too formal. Uh, um, so I'm just comfortable with being called coach and, and that's, I've been called that for decades, so. Oh, that's wonderful. So coach, uh, also I found a quote that it's by you and it goes like this. Everyone needs to step out of their comfort zone, embrace a degree of ambiguity, make an effort to understand their different perspectives and take a leap of faith that together they can create something positive and unprecedented. Can you unpack for us uh, this code and talk to us a little bit about this code in terms of your uh, journey, in terms of your experience in life and personal and professional journey? You know, yeah, I mean, listen, listen, I think it's an evolving process. You know, I'm not the same person I was when I first started. I'm not as, as hard-headed. Some may disagree, but if they knew me back in the day, I'm certainly not as hard-headed. Uh, I'm more open-minded. Um, you know, I think roughly 11 years ago, after going through a significant illness, it changed my perspective to some extent, or I would say probably reinforced some of the values that I, um, uh, you know, develop. Um, but I think whether it's, you know, practicing law and going in front of a jury and st stepping out to 12 strangers and trying to tell your client's story that can be uncomfortable, um, or stepping on the field to compete and trying to go ahead and, um, lay things on the line that can be uncomfortable, but without that sort of discomfort, you're never going to realize the unbelievable joy that comes out of that or, or, or looking at how you've risen to an occasion where um, if you just played it safe the entire time, it would never have happened. And that quote probably comes out a little bit of me walking away from my law firm you know, roughly 10 years ago and, and moving halfway across the world to try to do something that nobody else did is starting at, you know, an athletic department, uh, you know, at a major university uh, that's, that's located throughout the world. And the thought of doing that uh, was, was honestly just too good to pass up. And, and that's what I remind my team all the time. We wake up every morning, we get to do something that maybe nobody else has done. It's not easy. It's uncomfortable, but we look back and try to take time to reflect, especially this time of year, and see that um, yes, yeah, it's, it's been remarkable. Some of the relationships and some of the things we've done in collaboration with other people. So speaking of uh, the change of uh, careers, 
And uh, we talked earlier about that uh, June is uh, marking your 10th year here at NYU Abu Dhabi, which is really a fantastic accomplishment. Uh, I just want to ask you a little bit about uh, the transition that you made from uh, being a lawyer into coming into an academic institution and leading an athletic department and dealing with students athletes and reflecting back on, do you see any of the skills that uh, were used in your law practice were transferable to your uh, career as a coach? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think you have analytical skills where you're trying to solve problems and figure out the combinations to move things forward. You have negotiation skills that we use in the law practice and, and how do you negotiate or mediate or try to find win-win solutions. You know, with litigation, it's a lot of either you win or you lose. It's one or the other. Um, and then later in my career, I was doing more and more mediation and even, even sitting as a, a neutral mediator or an arbitrator and the ability to try to create resolutions that were win-wins along the line were something that was more attractive to me and less cutthroat. Uh, and don't get me wrong, I, I enjoyed litigating. It, it was a very comfortable environment for me because I played soccer, I competed, looked at the scoreboard and that, that the scoreboard told me did or win or lose. And then the same thing in the courtroom, I would compete and then look at the jury and then the jury would tell me, did I win or did I lose? Um, but that all or nothing sort of competitiveness can, can wear on you over time. You know, certainly I have a, 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 of that, a degree of that resolve and that competitiveness. It's always within me. It just has to come out at appropriate times. Um, but there, yeah, the, the ability to talk with different type of people, the ability to tell a story or try to connect with the jury, um, if that can resonate, you know, in the courtroom, certainly it should be able to resonate on the playing fields uh, and on the playing courts and, and with athletes and with young people. I mean, I think I can identify with young people, although, listen, I, I'm, I'm older, much older than they are, and I have kids that are, that are uh, their age and older and younger. Um, what I can identify, I still hearken back to the experiences that I had when I was their age and um, realize that it was a struggle for me and, and, and understand that it is a struggle for them from time to time. But what I wanted back then is someone to help guide me and mentor me through that struggle. And, and, that's, and that's what I try to do now. So you, you equate uh, law practice with coaching and this whole concept of winning and losing. Uh, so I, I can just imagine leaving a courtroom and uh, not winning a case it's very devastating for a client and for the lawyer themselves. But again, also sport, sometimes there is some emphasis on winning at the end of the day. Uh, how do you deal with the concept of winning and how do you uh, work with your athletes uh, in terms of reacting or dealing with losing? Especially you can't help it. As they say in the U.S., a lot of people are going to be Monday quarter backing you and analyzing the game and could have and should have, uh, how do you build that sense of uh, resiliency within your athletes in processing a loss? And is winning is uh, one of your top priorities? No, I, you know, what I would say is that, and I've said it to, to, to a lot of my players before, is it 10, 15 years from now, probably even less than that, I've talked to some of my players who played last year, they, they don't remember a lot of the results and a lot of the matches. There may be a match on a Wednesday night, a kind of nondescript match. Maybe we win, maybe we lose. They just don't remember that. And that goes back to, to my memories when I played collegiate soccer. I don't remember a lot of those matches. A few of them I do, a few moments I do, um, but I remember those people I played with, my teammates. Um, so you know, I was saying that it's all about relationships. It's really about relationships and it's about the process. If we do what we're supposed to do um, and play for each other and be committed to each other, then things will more often than not work out in our favor. And even if they don't work out on the wins and loss column, which is not the most important column, they'll work out in the, in the life column of how we support each other and how you can harken back to, you know, difficult times that, that you've gone through, heartbreaking losses, unbelievable wins. Um, you know, sometimes the ball bounces and you're unlucky. 
uh, it bounces against you. And sometimes it bounces uh, in a way that's completely gratuitous for you. So you need to maybe not get too high all the time and not get too low all the time and, and realize that it's, it's a long process. You know, so if it's one game, it's okay, but it's one game during the course of maybe the four years that a particular player may be at the university. What are all the other things that we're doing? All the time we spend on the field, we spend, you know, maybe an hour and a half a week playing a match, but we may spend, you know, 10 hours uh, training and, and, um, and getting together, having dinner, having breakfast, meeting, meeting um, the rest of the week. So the actual matches is, is a really um, small portion of what we, the time we spend together. Uh, do you see a difference over time with some of the athletes as uh, starting uh, lower class members and later on if they're junior and seniors in terms of dealing with, uh, with the sense of defeat and how they recoup and how they bounce back? I don't, I, I don't think I can say generally. Um, I think each player, um, you know, has their different struggles. They bring different things to the table. They each have their strengths. They each have areas they need to work on. For some, uh, brushing off uh, a result or disappointment is not a big deal. For others, um, they need the space to perhaps dwell on it uh, a bit in, in their own way, whatever way that may be. And as a coach, I just need to figure out what's the best way to support them uh, along that journey. Um, I think what, what we end up doing as coaches a lot of times is just contextualizing or giving some perspective on what is taking place. And in the grand scheme of things, you know, what we do with sports is the most important thing of least important stuff. You know, I mean, there's a lot of important things in this world out here. But what we do is really important, but it involves some of the least important things in this world. Um, that doesn't mean that it's, um, you know, it, it, there's not, we don't derive great benefit out of it, but keeping it in perspective we're playing a game and shooting baskets and kicking a ball and running around and spiking a shot. Um, and we're privileged to do that. Another concept that is a little bit emphasized in sport is uh, the concept of agility. And agility is both, uh, you know, both sides of the coin, the physical agility and the mental agility. Uh, what does agility mean to you as a coach? And how do you build agility among your uh, team members? And also, if you can differentiate between agility, resiliency, uh, you know, and flexibility, are these all correlated or they're different concepts to you? I think they're probably all nuanced in certain ways. You know, when you look at athletes, you look at athletes from a physical perspective, um, you know, what they can do, um, you know, pure physical. You look at it from a technical perspective, how they can technically execute some of the things they're able to do with the ball or with the bat or, or whatever it may be. Uh, you look at them from um, a tactical perspective and, you know, what, how are they with their decision making um, and how competitive uh, may they be, you know, and then psychological would be the last aspect and how, you know, resilient can they be. So I think that all of those areas, I think what, what sports teaches is, is sports constantly changes, you know, especially, and that's what I love about soccer or football is that it's really not a coach's sport. It is a player's sport and the players have to adjust because the ball constantly adjusts. And as soon as the ball adjusts, everybody else has to adjust with that. It's so free flowing and they have, they are empowered uh, on their own to make the decisions that they need to make. Now, hopefully we've exposed them enough in practice to help them be agile in their thoughts, in their reaction, uh, to be flexible, uh, to keep things in perspective. As far as resilience, it, 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 you know, uh, you know, it, it occurs. You know, we may in soccer, you may be under pressure, under pressure, under pressure, not playing well. But at the end of the day, if there is no goal that's scored against you in the win and loss column, you know, things are, are are fairly even. So keeping that in perspective. You know, but I think what I'm proud about our athletes is, uh, number one, how they handle themselves. Number two, how they care for each other. Uh, but number three, they really compete. You know, at times we're overmatched maybe in other aspects of the game, but from a psychological aspect, uh, from a mental sort of resilience and toughness, 
we compete. We compete to the end, um, to the last point. And, um, and that go, that'll go a long way in life. If you take those skills and that resilience and determination and stay focused on it and keep working at it, you'll put yourself in the best position um, to get the success that you're ultimately looking for. It's not guaranteed, but you'll at least give yourself a chance. So all of these skills that they gain while they're on the team, the commitment and the competition and this uh, spirit of a team, uh, how do you see that translate into their academic work and hopefully going forward into them entering into the workforce? Yeah, I mean, the best thing to do is to ask them, some of them graduated, you know, although some of them uh, gripe a little bit about the early morning training sessions because we train at seven in the morning. So that means you're usually out there at you know, 6.45, 6.50, getting ready to, you know, to, to, to prepare to step on the field. And so a lot of them who graduated have come back and said, you know, these are some of the, the habits I, I, you know, I've, I've, I'm starting to work on, knowing that if I can get my work done in the morning, fitness-wise, everything else, that I have the rest of the day free. I think from my perspective, and, and like I said, a lot as I go back to what my experience was, my GPA was higher when I was in season in the fall. And when I had too much time on my hands in the spring, uh, my GPA was not as high. Um, you know, so I think it helped organize my day a bit more um, and, and it helped me be a bit more disciplined. Um, and I think that, you know, when, when you're in the workforce and, um, you know, to be disciplined, to stay on task, to know what the goal is, um, to work with your teammates, uh, because the goal is the important thing, not so much who gets credit for it, but how do you get there collectively um, you know, those are things that can be transposed to their academics, especially if they're working in group projects, that sort of thing. And certainly, you know, in, in the workforce. And at the end of the day, it's, you know, I think, you know, this, this whole Corona um, virus situation we're going through, realize, you know, makes you realize how connected we are to each other. We can't do this stuff alone. It's impossible. And, it, and we shouldn't do it alone. You know, we're, we're, we're connected in, in, in real intimate ways. Um, the field breaks that down for us, sports break that down for us, um, but hopefully they can find those relationships um, that they found on the field similar in the classroom and then certainly similar into the workforce too. Oh, very good. And, uh, you know, I'm learning a lot about uh, sports and uh, athletic activities at NYU Abu Dhabi. And I hear the, the name of the football team, the soccer team is Musbah FC. And I so look forward to attending uh, some of the games uh, in the near future. So uh, in your experience and you've been dealing with this uh, uh, team, uh, the last 10 years or so, uh, how did you see the team progress? Uh, what are the, these infrastructural uh, uh, processes that you put in place and you see the team grow into? And also looking forward, uh, what is your uh, projection for the next few years in terms of what are the things that you wanted this to see the team doing? So, you know, so with regard to the, yeah, I mean, Muspan FC is, it's just the name, honestly, for a family. It's a family that we've created um, uh, of, of male and female soccer players that get together every morning to play, to train, to support each other, um, that sort of thing. So we've taken some steps with, Coach Lynn and myself and, and Coach Scott and a number of the other coaches out there to try to, number one, see if we can break down traditional gender barriers between male and female teams. So we try to warm up together, train together, maybe have some fun together, play against each other from time to time. Um, regularly, there's a, there's a group of, uh, of players, of the, of the men's players that help Coach Lynn's team a train for specific games, you know, so they'll even go to an additional practice to make sure that, that they can get the support that they need. Um, you know, I, I think it just started off, honestly, with just a relationship that we had with players to try to instill some values that we thought were really, really important, commitment to each other, um, you know, uh, commitment to the game, honoring the game, you know, those sort of things. Um, to celebrating our successes, to making sure we were there um, if people were struggling. 
Um, and it just soccer has just given us the excuse to create a family. And, um, you know, I mean, some of the, I guess some of the loose rules that we have, you know, you need to say good morning to everybody um, when you show up at the field. And it's not just hello, it's shaking a hand or, a, you know, patting on the back or a hug or a kiss, whatever it's got. You have, that's, that's a rule that you have to do. Uh, and part of it is just acknowledging that you were there, you are important, and, uh, and it's nice to see you. So I think breaking down that a bit of intimacy helps. And then we also have talks from time to time. You know, we've talked about racial issues, racial abuse on the field. We've talked about, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, issues in the world. Um, we've talked about conflict. We've talked about um, um, sorrow. We've talked about grief, you know, so we find these things every once in a while. Uh, we, we will sit down, circle up, and, and sort of talk through some of those, some of those issues. Um, and I think more importantly, we just, we just try to have fun, try to support each other, and find a way um, to love each other. Well, this is wonderful. No, and also you alluded to this whole concept that uh, this is really beyond the team. It's, uh, it's a family. It's, uh, it's a community. And as you know, that uh, sport uh, teams and clubs, they're really important in terms of the bonding their own local communities as well. Uh, you know how the, the, the fans, the spectators, they wear the jersey, they demonstrate that as it's, uh, uh, this is their identity. Uh, and they bring in towns and they bring in countries together, uh, these uh, sport teams. So this, this whole concept of, uh, of a team uh, Rally uh, point for for the community. How do you see uh, athletic teams within NYU AD in satisfying the the fostering engagement principle that we're trying to instill in our students? Yeah, I mean, I think the easiest. You know, I think you're right. There's a there's a bit of um, you know, sports give a way for people to identify um, you know with the community. Um, it has a bit of a a tribal nature to it to some extent you know there's a celebration maybe there's a tradition with it you know I think if you look at like defend the nest you know our traditional homecoming match um, I think you can see a bit of that spirit that we that we have there uh, where people are excited to be out and support each other to wear purple to hoot and holler um, you know dance paint their face um, see our falcon buys of the falcon our mascot um, and I think it's, it, it's it, you know, young kids to, you know, uh, people from outside of the community come from time to time. So I think that's a nice way to, to bring people together. We've done some other things, you know, with the community, whether it's the Her Sports Initiative, which is trying to just give an opportunity to remove barriers and, and provide access to women in the community who can get together and, and play sports. Um, uh, for no cost, um, really no entry fee. That, you know, that's a big issue, especially in the U.S., pay to play, that sort of thing. So we try to remove those barriers. Uh, whether it's catching Kipchoge or catching Guy or whatever it may be, you know, it has some great sort of spirit to bring, to bring everybody together. You know, and part of the things we do is one of the first things we do when the, when the first years arrive on campus, we hand them an NYU Athletics T-shirt, and, and that's a shirt that they will wear from time to time. We'll see it. Uh, but hopefully that sort of, you know, binds them together in, in a bit of a, a small way. We do things like with our intercollegiate athletes having, you know, the Falcon Feast, like bringing them all together to celebrate all sports before the season opens. Um, yeah, if you have some more ideas, we'll, we'll take those into yeah, consideration. No, no, that's, that's really wonderful. And, you know, one thing that I miss about my undergraduate experience is, uh, is really that uh, – uh, bonding experience and having to be uh, really rallying around uh, the sport teams and attending those activities. So this is something that I do definitely look forward to taking part and taking my family also into these events uh, down the road. Uh, so let me, let me ask you about uh, something else that uh, us as leaders, we, uh, we, we talk about the sense of curiosity and how we want to be uh, looking at uh, different trends it uh, could be current events, it could be uh, new theories, new practices in our field or in other fields. 
So for you personally, how, uh, how do you go about, uh, you know, uh, satisfying that sense of curiosity? Is there is anything that you are most curious about those days? Are you reading on something interesting or studying something interesting? And how does it affect your journey overall thus far? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a lifelong journey. I mean, I think you're a continuous learner, you know. So, so whether it's books, um, you know, I read a fair amount of uh, leisure books, um, you know, sort of escapism, but also I read, you know, some books about sports, uh, sports psychology, coaching theories, that sort of thing. Listen to podcasts, um, share articles. I'm forever. They'll, you'll staff will t my staff will tell you. I share articles constantly. Uh, if I find something that's interesting, you know, I'll certainly share it with others uh, because I think maybe they would find some value or some interest um, in that. Um, yeah, I think it's just an ongoing uh, thirst to um, to learn, to improve, um, to not sort of sit still you know if, I think if we're just sitting still then I don't know maybe things are, are passing passing us by perhaps yeah and speaking of sharing articles I do appreciate uh, you uh, sharing a lot of these great articles and uh, on LinkedIn as well and I do enjoy reading them and this next question is really it's uh, it's about an article you shared last week and I think it's by Thomas Friedman the New York Times uh, opinion writer and he did an interview uh, with a leadership uh, scholar by the name of Doug Siderman. And in that interview, the re really the, the, the main point that he was uh, making in, in the article is uh, leaders are truth tellers. And this is really a fantastic concept because on one hand, you wanna be optimistic, you wanna be positive, you wanna put a positive outlook uh, in times of adversity and crisis. But at the same time, this whole uh, concept of being a truth teller. And the quote that I uh, selected by uh, Dov Sediment is leaders who trust people with the truth are trusted more in return. And to me, this is, this is a really fascinating idea. So what does that mean to you as a leader being a truth teller in terms of practice, especially for you as a coach and a leader? Well, I, th I think unless, you, unless you're truthful, unless you're authentic, and unless you're truthful, and um, people trust that you're being truthful, I, I think it's almost incapable, you're incapable of leading uh, that group of, of people. Um, you know, and I think we all find ourselves in, in, in difficult situations from time to time. Um, so we may get some information, and, and what I try to do is be as transparent as I can, and, and if I get information from above, is to, is to pass it along to, to, to my team as much as I possibly can, to keep them in the loop, to give them as much information as I can. But there are, there are two areas where it's a problem. Number one, if I'm, if I'm told, hey, listen, you please do not pass this along, for whatever reason, you know, there's good reasons that certain things are not prepared to be released, uh, you know, uh, or they shouldn't be released, so you can't do that. Uh, or the other thing, sometimes to struggle from time to time, if you work in a very dynamic environment, you're trying to give as much information you can, but then if things change from up above, then you have to adjust and then it, it, it can um, erode um, your trust as a leader unless you have enough social capital or unless you um, can find a way to explain sort of, you know, what took place. Um, but I think without trust, yeah, I mean, I think people need to trust that you care about them. And if they, if they trust that that's the case, then they know that you have their back. You'll do whatever you can for them um, to make them successful. And, and trust is really essential. It's, I think it's the building block for any Lost, uh, last lang uh, you know, long-lasting relationship between, it doesn't matter within any organization, but I, I think it's uh, definitely between a coach and, uh, and uh, athletes and what have you. So uh, I wonder, you, the, the coaches that you, they, they work in your department and this emphasis on building trust, how do they go about building trust within their teams uh, when things are not necessarily uh, clear or sometimes it doesn't really make complete sense how do they go about building trust within the team, Entra? 
I think it's getting to know your players, talking with your players, um, and sort of fulfilling what their needs are. You need to get to know them, uh, who they are individually, and certainly who they are within within the group. Um, you know, and, it, and it's not easy. You know, we have a, a policy with, with Muspa FC is, you know, as long as you want to be, as long as you're committed uh, to us and you want to be part of the you know, the team, we will find a way to include, but, you know, this past year, you're talking 55, 60 players on the men's side, and then Lynn probably had another 25 or so players on the, on the women's side. So being able to, to know each and every one of them at, 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 at such a personal level um, is quite, is quite challenging, but, um, you know, that, I mean, I think that's what you're going to have to try to do in order to do, and it takes time. You know, my relationship with certain players from their first year, um, they change uh, by the time, you know, they uh, reach their third, fourth year. Uh, a lot of it is by how much time we've spent together and how many conversations we've had or um, interactions that we've had uh, a lot of times away from the field, not on the field. So you look back at the 10-year the span and building this uh... – organization and having to recruit coaches and work with athletes over over the years uh, so at your organization what are the the values of your organization if you can let some to us and how your coaches and yourself go about communicating these values uh, to the athletes yeah I mean first and foremost you know you hear a lot of my um my coaches and people that I work with, you have to care about the students. You have to be there for the students. Um, you're student affairs professionals, but more importantly, I want you there. I want you to be open. I want you to be available to the students, no matter who you are. So putting them sort of front and center is, is really critical. The second thing is you have to be there for the university. You have to go ahead and make sure that you are willing to collaborate and willing to work you know, within the division and across divisions um, to help us achieve the mission that we have, um, which is to deliver a world-class education in the classroom, and not only that, but certainly outside of the classroom and on the playing surfaces. And then certainly you have to be committed to the country. You know, I mean, we have been blessed. If you look at our facilities, we are unbelievably blessed um, with what we have here. And I feel strongly that it's not something we should just say, oh, it's ours, no one else can mm -hmm. use it. So we try to find ways where we can connect with the community. So it's her sports, so it's the Kipchoge events, whatever it may be, uh, different tournaments. You know, we've run track meets early on and had no athletes from NYU participate in track meets. Some people say, well, why are you doing that? Well, because our mission extends you know, not only our department, our students, your university, but also what does collegiate sports look like in the UAE? You know, that's an obligation I think we have given what we've been resourced with. So now it's the time of the show when we shift gears and we go to rapid fire. And okay. uh, we'll, we'll, we'll try to take it easy on you, coach. <laughs> so the, the first one is, what is something you could eat for a week straight. Anything that my wife, Raina, cooks. And if you've ever had a life <laughs> this, you'll understand why. Oh, same here, Italio. Happy wife, happy life. But not, not specific food? You won't get tired of? No, I mean, I, I like seafood and, and like Italian seafood. Um, so yeah, if you, if you said that's what I had to eat for the rest of my life, I, I'd be okay. As long as she was preparing it. Um, and enjoying it with me. No Very problem. good. So uh, this one is uh, last book you read. The last book I read. So I'm reading right now a book by Sid Lowe on uh, La Liga with uh, Real Madrid and Barcelona. Uh, but the one I read before that is, um, geez, I don't know in which order I read, but I think uh, Why We Need Sleep. I think that's the title. I can go grab it and show it to you, but I think that's it. That's, that's cool. So uh, this one is uh, a fun one. So if you were a part of a bicycle, which part would you be? So part, I would say probably, I don't know what it's, what it's called. What's the hub with, is it the hub with the spokes? The hub with spokes, yeah. Yeah, I would, I would think the hub, yeah. Very cool. 
this one has to do, let's say, you are a great karaoke singer. Which song would you, would you sing? Um, hmm. Yeah, so we just, we we're just talking a little bit about this. I, I, I'm, my gut tells me I would probably sing something by Springsteen. Okay, great. So let's say that uh, Hollywood want to make a movie about Coach. Who would you want to be uh, the leading role? Who would I want in the leading role or who should be in the yeah, leading you, role? No, who should be playing you as a leading role in that movie? Uh, Ed Begley Jr. Only, okay. Coach Young, <laughs> only Coach Young would know that one. Okay. Uh, the last one here is what is one word your athletes will describe you as to their families? Uh, coach would be the word. If it's not coach, it's, it's probably, um, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe it's like, I don't know, like maybe father. I don't want to, I don't want to say that exactly, but something along, uh, campus father or university father or soccer dad or I, I don't know something like that I think um I, I they, they from time to time they'll say it you know like you're you're our father away from home something like that which is well we'll, just, we'll, we'll just say coach dad coach dad <laughs> that's that's wonderful uh coach it it was really wonderful having a conversation with you tonight and at this time I'm going to open it up to the audience uh to ask you questions and engage in the conversation for the audience, there is no specific uh, protocol. Uh, please uh, just unmute uh, yourself and, and go for it. So it's now's the time to look at the questions. Oh, Tom Petty, Gilbert. Okay. Coach, you are the best. Thank you, Sarah. Any questions? Maria? Yes. Um, you started the conversation talking like about, well, the quotes that like, well, what I remember about the quote, it was the uncomfortable part, like going out of your comfort zones. And like, I feel like right now we, we like, it's not that we chose, but like we're put like all of a sudden in an uncomfortable, um, situation. So what's your recommendation to deal with it? Well, I think probably my recommendation is to hark in back to what you've experienced, you know, in your life, in the, um, on the playing surface, you know, that sort of thing, you know, life's a long game. It's a long game. And, and I think when you look back, um, this is going to be a bit of a speed bump on that road of life. It may be a, a fairly good pothole. It may be something pretty, pretty big, but you'll get past this. Um, you'll get past this. And, you know, I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic. I'm hopeful. I'm always, I think, um, looking for the glass half, half full sort of, uh, approach. Um, and, and I think that if you, you know, sort of surround yourselves with, with people that, that, you know, have that degree of optimism and you have a fantastic student body here that's adventurous, that took a risk just coming here in the first place. Um, that this will be something that, that you'll be able to, to get past. You know, when you look at the game, if you play for 90 minutes, you guys are in the uh, 22nd minute or something like that, or, you know, 20th minute. You know, it's still pretty early on. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of soccer to play. So I think, Maho, you, you'll that's – what, that's what I would say. And then reach out to those people that you can open up to and have candid conversations with. It, but not the ones that'll just yes you to death. The ones that'll will, will tell you, hey, listen, you know, either you know, snap out of it or, or get with it. Somebody who you really, really value and you trust, and that you can really talk with and open up to. I think too much of what people do is they just pose and posture, and they just never get to what real discussions involve. Thank you. I have a question. Hi, Coach. Hi, Omoto. Okay. Yes. Um, what do you think is your biggest weakness? 
I know farewell is one. But you think what is? I don't know. Farewells. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of those, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't say that's a weakness. It's. Uh... Yeah, now well, you're going to make. I, sorry. Uh, no. I Take that say, back. But... I would say there's probably. Um, I'm, I'm impatient and maybe. I could be more patient. I could always improve in a lot of different things. But I think that um, sometimes I don't take no for an answer when I feel that, that someone can do something. Like I have more faith in a lot of people than sometimes they have in themselves. And I do get frustrated when when people say, oh, I can't do it, or there's a million and one excuses, where I know deep down in my heart, in my gut, that it can be done. It can be done. And maybe that's the optimism that I have, you know, but I don't, I don't think I'm a, I don't think I'm unrealistic. I, I, I think I use the term, I'm an ambitious pragmatist, you know? So I'm ambitious on what I think we can accomplish, what I think you can accomplish, but I am, I am pragmatic deep down. Um, but I think, you know, so, so Wayne's on the call here. And this is what I would say, the relationship that I have with Wayne when we work together was very, very effective. And now he's not there to balance me as, as much as, as he was in the past. But what was great about that is in my department, I don't handle the budget at all, okay? Because if I have ideas and the budget, that is a recipe for disaster. Something is going to go wrong, without a doubt. So he would handle the budget and the free, and then also he was, he was firm enough to go ahead and push back when my ideas were um, ridiculous. But what that allowed me to do is to just think crazy stuff. And a lot of it is just to get the conversation going. You know, so now, I mean, there are other people in the office, Scott, um, certainly uh, will give me some pushback. He holds the budget now. Um, but there was tremendous freedom if you can get someone that you can just, um, just think, just think and throw things out. And more often than not, with, with Coach and I, at the end of the day, we would be ambitious and try to make something happen, but maybe it just had to happen in a little bit different way. And then we, it was a lot of this going back and forth. So I think that, um, you know, I, I think that sometimes I can get a little impatient on that or expect people to push back on me harder. Um, but when perhaps you're a bit younger, you haven't been here as long as you have, as, as long as I have, or I'm in a more senior position than you are, um, there's maybe a hesit hesitancy to do that. Um, but my staff will tell you I welcome it. In fact, I sometimes call them out on it. Um, and usually they'll do that after they um, pass their probationary periods. Um, can I ask a question? Yeah, Sarah, go ahead. Okay, um, so this is something that we have been talking here with our roommates uh, quite recently, and it's the realization that sometimes and most of the time we cannot control what happens. I mean, we see with the pandemic, we see when we get sick, when, when things happen, um, even many of our emotions are, are even hard to control. I mean, all these chemicals that go through our body and, and it's kind of this realization that most things actually cannot be controlled by humanity. Do you think that that's like understanding that and coming into terms with that realization is a, is a, is a feature that a leader should have or the opposite kind of thinking that we can we can actually control some things. No, I mean, I, th I think that there's, there's certain things in, in life that you're going to be able to control your effort, your attitude, you know, those sort of things. There's a lot that is uncontrollable. And let, let's face it, like if you, if you listen to some of these people who have been successful or made it, you know, to the top, a lot of it has to do with luck. And, you know, what I say is find a way to stay in the game, you know, when the, we say, when the ball goes out of bounds, throw it back onto the field and keep playing. The more you keep playing, the more you're engaged, the, 
the better chance you have of something, the ball bouncing in, in your general direction. And, and that's not to say that there's not disappointment. There's not to say that, that you know, um, you know you're, not, you're not entitled to that or you need to move past it immediately. I think everybody needs to, you know, grasp that and work through it in, the, in their own way. And I think from a leader standpoint, you need to understand that, that different people will move through it in different ways and at different paces. Um, but we all need to get back on the field. The ball's got to get back on the field um, for, us to, for us to play. Um, so the ball's a little bit out of bounds right now. Maybe it's a little deflated at the moment, but we'll get it back on the field and we'll, we'll get things moving in the right direction again. So. Thank you, Coach. Thank you. You're welcome. Coach, I have a question for you. Uh, okay. I'm trying to I see mean, who this is. It's me. Um, who were your leaders when you were growing up, and who are the leaders that you look up to right now? You know, you know certainly my grandfather was probably one of the most influential people um, in my life. Um, you know, I, I've talked about him before with some of my players are saying, you know, he worked as a machinist for decades, just got on the train every day, drove, you know, uh, took the train, you know, from out on Long Island into the city, went ahead, spent his, what, eight or 10 hours, hopped on and then, and then went back. And he just did every single day. Is that something that I could do right now? I don't know. I mean, I think I would just feel so restrained, so... Um, so frustrated, especially since I've experienced some other things out there and, and the freedom to do a lot of different things. But what he, it's unbelievable what he did and he did it for, he did it for others, you know? So um, he did it not for himself. It was because, because of others. So I think that those people out there that, that live for others to make others lives uh, improved and better um, are the leaders that I see out there. Um, and then the leaders today, you know, it's, um, I, I think there's, there's a bit of a challenge with, with regard to, to leaders, especially the high profile ones. I think it's, it's sort of taking bits and pieces from different people um, that would probably, you know, resonate as 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 uh, as a true leader in, in in my mind i i don't want to say just one person because a lot of times if it's a somebody who's very famous i don't really know that person my grandfather i knew i knew my grandfather he i understood him he understood me i knew what he was trying to do i knew what he did for me um you know to, so to say somebody else um for the sake of saying who that is i yeah it probably would not be doing that person and or my grandfather justice. Thanks, coach. You're welcome. Miss you. I miss you too. I have a question, um, if we still have time. Um, so what is the, uh, not to put you too much on the spot, but uh, what is the biggest challenge of working with students um, that you faced? You know, it's honestly, the students are not, it's not the students aren't the challenge for me uh, a lot of times you know i mean i think i understand them you know there's things that you've gone through that my own i got five kids that my kids have or, or have gone through or are going through you know so whether it's it's struggling um you know with their physical condition or struggling with with mental health issues or struggling with relationship issues i mean i get all of that um i i you know i the struggle that i have is is maybe how maybe some others um, you know, um, uh, staff or faculty or adults, um, you know, s sort of portray the, portray the students, you know, I mean, you know how it is. It's like, Hey, we've talked about, Oh, maybe the student body is a bit, um, there's a bit, uh, of entitlement to the, to the student body. I mean, I don't, I don't really see that, that, that generally, you know, there are some people who maybe are a bit more vocal about things from time to time. And, and I get that. Remember when we started this university, you know, it was, uh, you know, we could not fail. This thing had to succeed. And so some of the things that we've done early on, you know, had the unintended consequences of maybe uh, uh, 
creating a bit of an environment where a lot of things were provided. Um, and that's okay. We created it. You guys didn't create it. The ones before you didn't create it. Um, you know, so it was how do we go ahead and sort of uh, move past that. Honestly, the students are not an, not an issue to me. They're not. I mean, I think I'm not because I, I see a lot of familiar faces here. I said, aside from Motoy, I have, you know, really good relationship with each and every one of you guys. Motoy needs to pick up the game, yes. <laughs> I love you, Motoy. You know that. <laughs> I love you too. Any other questions? Okay, if not, uh, we come to the conclusion of the session. Coach, again, thank you so much uh, for being generous with, uh, with the time and making time for us tonight for this wonderful conversation. Uh, to the participants, especially the students, thank you for attending and engaging in a, in a conversation with us. Uh, next week, uh, we're gonna be having uh, uh, Sarah Algara, uh, who's a student's leader on the show. And she will be talking about her uh, students' interest group and also some initiatives she's doing on, uh, on campus. So we'll have that for um, next Monday, uh, 7 to 8. Uh, these sessions are being recorded and also we are in the process of creating a podcast. It's going to be released uh, soon. And uh, all of this conversation will be uh, featured there and you will be able to go back and uh, listen to those on on, uh, on time that is suitable for you. We know not everybody can make time uh, on Monday 7 to 8, but uh, truly appreciate the, the participation tonight. And uh, again, coach, thank you, thank you so much. And uh, you guys uh, be kind to yourself and each other and have a great night. Thank you, coach. Bye-bye. Thank, thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you, bye, coach. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, coach. Bye, coach.